0: Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, hopefully, as uh, Pastor Steve said, the 13th, we will actually be all together again. And I will no longer just be staring into the black lens of a camera. And uh, yeah, I'll be speaking to all of you. And I'm looking forward to it so, so much. We did some services with the Teen Challenge uh, out in CBS. And uh, believe it or not, I actually found it awkward talking in front of people because I made eye contact with people. Uh, So no doubt that's something I'm going to have to adjust to again, is uh, making eye contact with people again and not just staring at an inanimate object. So as Pastor Steve said, and as he read it, we're going to continue in Jonah. And before we do that, uh, I want to bring up a popular song, Jesus Take the Wheel. And no doubt most of us have heard the famous Carrie Underwood song, and we've sang it, and some of us have probably even said that, whether jokingly and mockingly, or we've actually meant what we have saying, Saying and we saying, Jesus, take the wheel. I, I just need you in this situation. I need you in my life right now. I need you to be in control right now. And there's a picture I've come across, and it's, it's pretty funny. Um, all you have to do is search... Jesus take the wheel, and uh, you go to images in Google, and it shows a car, and it's driving down the road, and there's a wheel coming off the back of the car. And it says, Jesus, not that wheel. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. I, I usually get a pretty good chuckle out of it, but it speaks to a very real situation, is that when we do ask Jesus to take the wheel, sometimes God's solutions to our problems, we, don't, we usually aren't that big of a fan of. We're, we, we don't expect Jesus to solve a problem the way we want him to solve a problem our way. And that actually relates to last year, actually, when uh, myself, Dave, uh, Matt, and our wives, we, we held Alpha in Kilbride. And we said going into this. We didn't know how many people we were going to get. We didn't know if we would get 10 people. We didn't know if we get 20. We didn't know if we would get one person. But we decided going in that no matter what we got, no matter what God gave us, we would keep going. So week one came, and no one showed up. Week two came, no one showed up. Now, we did have Shane and Dana coming from, from Calvary Baptist, which was, which was fantastic. We enjoyed going through with them. But it took until seven weeks in before we had someone from Kilbride come and join us. And there are times when things don't go according to our plans. There are times when we think we're doing something great, but it doesn't always work out the way we want it to. And sometimes we can receive criticism for these things, and hopefully that criticism is constructive and is meant to help us do better the next time around, but it's not always a pleasant experience. And you might think I'm going to now go into, well, things didn't go according to Jonah's plan or things didn't go according to the sailor's plan, but that's not the central idea of this text. And besides, I'm saving the obvious for my next sermon when things get real fishy. And uh, if you look at my manuscript, I have real spelled R-E-E-L, like a fishing reel. So I can imagine how much you're groaning now, but I am taking quite great joy that I can put that in my sermon. If you've been around me at all, you've probably heard me speak a few puns. So get into our story, and uh, it begins to hone in on the sailors. They have just cast lots They have found out that Jonah is the one at fault for this. And they're asking him, what do we do with you? And I want you to remember that this storm has terrified them. Like not much like outside, well, not much different from outside, sorry. The wind is howling. The rain is pouring down. They've already thrown their cargo overboard. They cried out to their own gods with no answer. And then they just learned that their passenger is a prophet of the God of heaven who created both land and sea, meaning he's everywhere. And from their perspective, they've been caught between a deity and his prophet. They've been caught with an angry God and his, the one that speaks his word. This, is, this was a very common train of thought at the time that you could just go about your day and you could just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and end up being under the wrath of a vengeful god or or goddess. But actually, that's also a very common train of thought today, that we can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We often don't think that God, the one true God, could be in the background orchestrating things according to his will. Now, if you've been taking notes in Jonah, you see that God is very involved here. The storm that we're in, God is responsible for. He's the one that he hurled the wind onto the sea. I'm not going to tell you that every storm that's in your life is from God, but I will tell you that God is indeed working things according to his will. See, I believe we have free will and that we are able to act according to our desires and intentions, but God is working above all of our choices. And this means that he is guiding and using our choices To accomplish his will, he is above all things, and all things are dependent on him for their existence. Jonah got in the boat to run away, but God then intended that disobedience according to his will. And this morning, I want you to know it's because God is in control that we can't get in his way. We're not big enough that we can stop God from doing something, nor can we throw a wrench in his plans for us. See, in verse 13, the sailors and their morality attempted to bring Jonah back to shore after he suggested he throw them overboard. They didn't want to be responsible for throwing this man overboard. They had more respect for Jonah and his position as God's prophet than the prophet himself did. They didn't want to be responsible for his death, so they tried in the midst of a storm to get him back to shore. If you've seen videos or pictures at all, you can, you can imagine what the sea looked at, like at this time. And just before I came in here, I actually just put in very quickly to see what's the highest wave that the Mediterranean Sea has, has had. Well, it's a pretty big wave. They actually The record's just been broken. I think it was January of this year. But it's upwards of 28 feet. It's the highest that a wave has gotten on the Mediterranean Sea. I'm close to six feet tall. That wave would destroy me. I'm not saying that's how big the wave was here, but you can imagine how powerful this storm was. And it's when they start to roll back to sea, to to shore, sorry, that the text tells us that actually the sea got worse and worse. It got more tempestuous. and the, the word's user is actually personal, so it's saying it, personally got, it was against them personally, against their ship. They could not overpower what God had done. One commentator puts it this way. He says, They rode against wind and tide, the wind of God's vengeance, the tide of his counsels, and it is in vain to contend with God. There is no point for us to go against God and his plans if he's God, we can't get him in, in his way. C.S. Lewis says something along these lines, that there, there is no point for us to argue with the one who has given us the ability to argue. If God is in control, then he is in control of all things and is above all things. If he chooses to do something, we're not going to get in his way. See, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 says, See, it was before the world was created that God had already chosen us to be adopted as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. And if it was before the world was created that he chose us, then you're not going to surprise him by anything you do. He's not going to be caught off guard by any mistakes you make or any choices you make. We can't stop him from accomplishing his will, nor should we want to. He is the creator of all things and is working things toward his perfect will. Just think about what it would look like to serve a God who wasn't in control of everything. Can you imagine a God who says, and I'm going to take Abraham as an example here. I'm going to bless you in this life and bless the nations through your seed. But then we go out and we do something wrong. We make a mistake. And that God comes back to us and says, well, there goes that plan. What, what am I supposed to do with you now? Like, you messed that up. That's not a God I would want to serve, nor is it a God that we do serve. We serve the one true God who is in control and who we can't disrupt. And we know that we're sinful creatures. Yes, if you place your faith in Christ, you are saved through grace you're, you're a saint in him, but we still make mistakes. We still mess up. We know that. We know that better than anyone else. Sure, there are days I can't even go at the front door without making a mistake. But I serve a God that I can't catch off guard and whose plans I won't mess up. Proverbs 16, verse 9 is one of my favorite Proverbs. And it really drives this point home. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And actually the NIV puts it another way. And it says, Although man may cast the dice, the Lord determines how they fall. God is going to use our choices and, and our mistakes even for his glory. Now, it doesn't mean... That we're mindless puppets, but God is just bigger and greater in all of us, and He's using our choices according to His will. I've actually experienced this myself in my own life. See, before we came to St. John's, I lived me and me and Sabrina in that time, Ray Lynn, we lived with our with Sabrina's parents, my in-laws, for a year and a half. And uh, you both told me you're watching, so thank you for that. But uh, during that time, we didn't know what was coming next. The plan was we're going to move with them for a couple of months, and it turned into a year and a half. But it's during that time that I lived with them that I started getting involved with the incubator church planter course. And it's through that course that was done here in town that I met Steve Bray, Steve Dodd, David Drover, and Matt Leahy, the guys I now work with here. And it's also during that time Sabrina was thinking about going back to school here in Munn. So things started to point us towards St. John's, and it just seemed like the most obvious thing to do. I got involved through an incubator course through Dean Brenton, who at the time worked with the PALNL and just drew the jigs and the reels. <laughs> uh, I left the PAOL because it just didn't seem to be a fit for me to be a church planter with them. But I had no idea that an interest in church planting would end up me leaving the denomination I grew up in and that I pastored in, and that I would join these great group of guys, these great group of men that I only met eight months prior. We had no idea that we would make so many connections in St. John's, both me and Sabrina, and that we would have so many opportunities to share the gospel. See, God had already been working things for us to be an influence here in town, and we had no idea. We thought we were just making the most logical move. It was during our, one of our lowest times. We, had, we didn't know what to do next. But God was already working it for his glory. We had to trust that he knew what he was doing. And it's because God is in control that we can trust he hears us. See, the sailors in that wind and rain, like outside, I'm sure you've been in a storm before where you've had to yell at someone. It's been so windy, you've had to yell for them to hear you. They cried out to their gods, and there was no answer. They had exhausted every avenue, so they turned to the one true God, the God of Jonah, the God of heaven, who created both land and sea. And see, their gods didn't answer them because they weren't real. They weren't real gods. They were just images that, they had, that had been created. But they came into experience with the majesty of the one true God, the God who is in control of everything, and it's the fact that God is in control of everything that we can trust that He hears us. We can trust that He's going to hear our prayers when we go to Him. You might be wondering how, how does that line up? What do you mean? Okay, God's in control. I get that, but why should I have confidence in the fact that He's going to hear me when I pray? Well, if you want an example, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 26 to 29. It says, and they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they, they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Maybe he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom which was with swords and lances until the blood gushed out from upon them. And as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of ob- oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, those prophets in that passage, they worshiped God's, that weren't real. And Elijah even mocked him. He went so far as him to mock him and say, Maybe your God is on the toilet. Maybe he's just busy. Keep going. Maybe he'll answer you eventually. But that wasn't the case. See, even though after this passage Elijah runs away and gets very depressed, we see his trust in Yahweh. We see how much he trusts the one true God who created everything and that he would hear him when he called out. If you want more, First John chapter five verses fourteen says, "And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us." Likewise, Proverbs fifteen twenty nine says, "The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous." It's because God is in control, and He's not too busy that he's not going to hear our prayers. He's not going to go missing. We serve a God who is God of all and wants us to pray to him and will answer our prayers. And he will answer them according to his good and perfect will. In their greatest time of need, when everything else failed them, the sailors went to God. They asked that God would spare their lives because of this innocent blood. They didn't want to be held held accountable for the innocent blood of Jonah. Wait a second. What do they mean, innocent blood of Jonah? Haven't we already established that Jonah is guilty here? He's guilty of running from God? Well, Jonah was actually innocent of something, and he was innocent of bringing this disaster on the sailors. The prophet had no intention of dragging anyone into his disagreement with God. He certainly didn't have the foresight to see that God would throw a storm onto the ocean and that he would bring the sailors into such a violent storm and be risking their lives. In their prayer, the sailors also acknowledge that this is clearly God's doing. In, in verse 14, in their prayer, they say, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What do we mean as it pleased God? Did God was, does God take joy in punishing us? Is he taking joy in throwing a man overboard into the ocean? Well, if you were around the march when we did our Easter series, I preached on Jesus saying Saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that sermon I brought up Isaiah 53, which is about the Lord's suffering servant, which is Jesus. And in that passage, it says it pleased the Lord to crush the servant. Here in this prayer, we have it's the same word used of God's pleasure. And what it means is that God is taking pleasure in what's being done. It's not some sort of sick pleasure. It's not just sitting away around waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. That's not the pleasure here. What it is is that God is knowing that these actions will result in something good in the end, ultimately good for his will. For example, I can say it pleases me to discipline my children. That doesn't mean that I take joy again in actually disciplining them or that I'm waiting around for them to mess up so I can punish them. What it does mean is that I'm pleased to do it because I know what will result in in their lives. I know that it will correct them, that it will help them to learn life skills, that they'll learn the proper attitudes, the proper responses to certain situations. That's the type of pleasure that's happening here. See, God can and will do as he pleases, even if it doesn't please us. Because his will is perfect and we don't always understand it. And no doubt we've been in those situations where we've cried out and we said, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? God, why is this happening? We don't understand. See, I, I wasn't pleased that I couldn't find another job in ministry. I applied to job after job after job. I even applied to some grocery store jobs and ministry jobs off the island. And Nothing. Nothing. But yet God will do as he pleases, and it is always good. Because if God had allowed me to find a job, I wouldn't have ended up here in St. John's with all of you. I wouldn't have been able to come and join Mile One Mission and to experience what it was like to do ministry with a great group of guys and, and the ladies here. He's wrote scripture. We can see that God is a God who listens to his people, just as he heard the prayers of the pagan Gentile sailors. They turned him in faith in the hour of the greatest need. And we can all be honest here and say that when things are going wrong, that's probably when we seek God the most. I know that when there was no, there was, there was no confirmation about what was next for us, I cried out to God almost daily. But when things get good, we tend to neglect our prayer life. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that, at least in my life, that when things are good, I don't go to God as often. But we need to know that God will hear you in the good and the bad times. And it's because God is in control, we can trust He hears us. And we can take joy in that. But it's also because God's in control that He can and will use our failures for his glory. See, the final part of our text ends with the sailors placing their faith in Yahweh and offering sacrifices to him. This is in verse 16. So you have no doubt that these sailors are saved. They experience salvation here because just moments earlier, they had called to all their various gods for help with no answer. As I said, they came in contact with, the tr- contact with the true living God with his power and majesty. They witness it firsthand. For when they throw Jonah overboard, the sea just stops raging. It stops. And as <laughs> Pastor Steve <laughs> may know, they hurl him overboard. It's the same phrase used when they throw their cargo overboard, which wasn't gentle. It's the same phrase used when God threw or hurled the storm at the sea. They threw Jonah overboard. When it stopped raging, they were gripped with a great fear. And then they made sacrifices, made vows to the Lord. See, my last sermon, I mentioned this very briefly about true fear of the Lord. See, Jonah talked the talk. He knew the right things to say, but his actions didn't line up with what he was saying. He said to the sailors, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made both land and sea. But he wasn't showing that fear. Well, meanwhile, these sailors show that true fear of God, that true reverence, that true faith in God, that they have been changed. I want you to see the significance of this. These dirty pagans who the Israelites felt were far below them are the ones here in this story who placed their faith in Yahweh and showed true fear and reverence and respect of the one true God. They are the ones, not the Hebrew, not Jonah, not the prophet of God. The CSB Study Bible shed some light on this passage, how Jews would have read it, and it says this. The integrity and spiritual sensitivity of these Gentiles would have shocked Israelite readers of this book, confronting their belief that non Hebrews were unworthy of God's mercy. Certainly, this is a lesson Jonah himself needed. And there's no doubt that it's even a lesson that we need. See, there's no doubt here that Jonah failed. We've we've just gone over, and this is only the first chapter. He ran from the calling of the Lord. He failed to out his sin and confess it to the sailors before they cast lots. He failed to evangelize to them. He got others caught up in this situation. And even when he offers himself as a solution, he does so in guilt to be thrown overboard, not in repentance. Jonah failed in every way here. He didn't evangelize. He didn't do what God wanted him to do. But yet the sailors are saved. God is able to use our failures for His glory. Do you remember my introduction? I never really told you how that lined up with my sermon, how you know Jesus takes the wheel lines up here. Well, you see, things may not have went according to Jonah's plans or the sailors' plans, but they did go according to God's plans. Things. Don't always go according to our plans, as I said when I lived with my in-laws, and I was wondering what's happening. To me, God took the wrong wheel. What are you doing? I don't understand what's happening right now. That is until we see what God's accomplished in taking that wheel. And there's no doubt, reading this, you would almost think, God, what are you doing? What, why is this happening? And the sailors no doubt thought, Why are we being caught up in this? Only that would lead to their salvation. See, there are times when we fail miserably and times when we succeed. Times when we obey God and follow his calling and times when we are like Jonah and we run away, we disobey God. But regardless of our actions, God is still able to and will use our actions for his glory. Our mistakes can still glorify him. And that's a wonderful thing. But now, don't hear this, like, hear what, I, <laughs> hear what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that we have a license now to go out and just ignore what God says in the Bible. I'm not saying that we don't have to serve God, that we can go out and just make a mess of things. What I, what I am saying is that when we, while we are trying to live according to God's word, while we are trying to live according to the spirit, and we still make mistakes, that God will still be glorified. Remember, he is above our actions, he is above our mistakes, and he will work things out according to his perfect will. In our men's study, we're going through a book called Dad Tired and Loving It. And in chapter 4, it speaks to this very thing. It says, you are going to stumble your way through this whole spiritual leadership thing you will likely find yourself embarrassed, incapable, and incompetent. Don't let that stop you from moving forward. God isn't looking for perfection. He is looking for initiation. Have the courage to initiate with your family in the things of God. Be a guide who points out the work God is already doing around them. God will honor your effort and use it for his glory. Even your failures can be used to advance his kingdom. We don't have to be the perfect Christian. And even better, there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. See, we we strive our lives to see Christ glorified and live for him, but we still mess things up. And that's okay, because we can rest in the fact that although we make mistakes, God is still good and he's in control. We haven't thrown a wrench in his plans. We don't have to worry that he doesn't hear our prayers because he is in control. Just like Matt and Dave preached the last two weeks that we need to be doers of the word and not be lovers of the world. When we do that, when we act on that, we don't need to be afraid that we're going to mess up God's plans, that we're not good enough to be used, or that the mistake we made it's, God's just going to sit there and be like, now what? That's not the God that we serve. I don't have to go to bed thinking that I missed an opportunity to witness to someone and whether or not they'll be received because I didn't obey God. I don't need to worry about that because God can still use my mistakes for his glory. See, last Sunday, I attended a service at the Seventh-day Adventist church that we rent. Ray Lynn was getting anxious, and so I decided to take her outside with the other kids on the grass. When we got out there, there were two men who were sat on the stairs there. There was no trouble to tell that they had been drinking. You could smell the liquor off of them, and it made me very uncomfortable. I made sure that Ray kept a safe distance from them, and all I could think about was how I could ask them to move without making a scene. You see, if you haven't been to that church before, they were sitting on the only steps that we could use to get in there, the building. We could walk around on the grass, but most people would rather use the steps. So I was wondering, what could I do here? Except I didn't have to ask them to move because they stood up when people started coming out. But they also started to ask for money from anyone that walked past them. It was a very uncomfortable scene. Before we left, I, I did notice that there were a few people talking to them, and one of those people was Shane Piercy. And I bring up Shane because if you know him, he's no stranger to evangelism. So I sent Shane a text, and I say, were you evangelizing those two men? And he said, yes. I said, great, I'm going to use you, use you as an example. <laughs> but it didn't hit me until later that this was a modern-day example of Jonah and Jonah's attitude. See, Jonah wanted nothing to do with preaching to the invites of the sailors. He wanted to get on with this day and get on to bigger and better things. If God had just called him to preach to Israel, he would have had no problem with that. If God asked us to lead, to preach to, or come alongside other Christians, we often have no problem with that. But it's when God asked us to lead, to preach to, or come alongside drunk men inside of the church asking for money That's when it can often become a different story. It can make us uncomfortable. But maybe we need to be uncomfortable. Maybe we need to see the tragic effects of sin and how harmful it can be in some people's lives. Preaching the gospel and being a Christian shouldn't be a matter of convenience, but it should be a matter of obedience. And let me ask you, are you like Jonah? Were you like me when I was like Jonah in church, coming out of church last week? Did you have the same thoughts as me? God, forgive me. Forgive me for failing to see those men as they were. Two men who were in need of you, of hearing how much you love them, how much you want them to come to you but thank you that you are a God who can use my mistakes. Jonah was self-righteous in that moment, and I was self-righteous and felt inconvenienced by those two men who were clearly in need of the gospel of Jesus. And I was wrong. I felt they weren't up to my standards In my eyes, I might not be as dirty and as unpleasant as they are on the outside, but my sin makes me just as dirty and unpleasant on the inside if I do not have Jesus. Don't miss what God is doing here. He's working behind the scenes. He's in control. And using Jonah's mistakes Jonah runs from preaching the call of God to his enemies, and he runs into some more pagans. He runs from preaching to pagans, comes in contact with pagan sailors, is caught on the storm, thrown overboard, and as a result, pagan sailors are saved. The very thing that Jonah tried to run away from, God used to save pagans, save Gentiles. Jonah couldn't escape God any more than the earth can escape the light of the sun. We can't escape God any more than we can escape gravity. We can often have the same response as Jonah. We run from God. We hide from our sin. We think if we mess up, God is not going to use us. We get self-righteous. Even when Jonah was willing to go over a boat, he did so in guilt. He still hadn't repented, just we can't get in God's way. See, later in the book in chapter 4, God, Jonah says to God, isn't this why I tried to forestall? Isn't this why I tried to hold off? My heart this morning is for you to believe these truths and know what it means to serve a God who's in control, that we can take joy in that fact, that we can run to him wherever we need him, that he will be there to hear us. He's not going to be out. He's not going to go missing. Take note of the sermons that have been preached and take them to heart. Matt challenged us to be doers and not just hearers of the word. Dave told us to love the Father and not the world. And I want you to know that God is in control when you are doing those things. That God is going to work with us. He's going to work through us. He's going to work around us. How beautiful is that? Rest in the fact that your ability to follow Christ does not determine what he can accomplish. God's will is perfect and is always good, even if we don't see it. Let's check our hearts this morning. And trust God because he is in control. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach to my friends. Thank you, God, that you are in control. I thought of last night as I was going through this that if I were even to make a mess of this sermon that you would still be glorified and that that would prove the point of my sermon and it kind of blew my mind a bit. God, you are in control of all things and may we take rest in that. May we take joy in that as we leave our houses, as we leave the Seventh-day Adventist Church, wherever we are listening to this, oh God, that we will rest in the fact that you are going to use us, that we are going to do our best for you And that we can take joy in that, that we can come to you in prayer. But when we do make mistakes, that you are in control and we haven't thrown a wrench in your plans, and you will still be glorified. Thank you, Father, for that truth. May we rest in that. May we rest in you, Jesus, today. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.